Father, I ask you to please prepare the soil of our hearts for the seed of your word. I ask you that your Holy Spirit would, would work in this room to, to take these words off the page and, and into our lives to encourage and strengthen, challenge believers, uh, to draw any who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior to him so they find him as their Savior and their Lord and that all of this would bring glory to you above all. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of people this week thinking about one thing in our country. Maybe you too. Who controls the flow of information? <laughs> and how, how do I know I'm getting access to what is true? Started when Elon Musk bought Twitter. Many were excited. Some on one side were concerned. Was added to when the government created the DGB, the, the Disinformation Governance Board. Why are people concerned about such things? Because we know we live in a, a sinful world. When you hear of things like that, and you think of the motives of people behind moves like that, you wonder, do they really want the truth or do they have other agendas in mind? Why do I bring that up this morning? Because that sometimes crosses even into the matters of faith. This book of Galatia, Paul had preached there the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus alone. In a first century, I'll call it first century disinformation governance board showed up after him. The, the Judaizers, they, they came to Galatia and they said, no, 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 no. What Paul preached was, was not the truth. That's not enough. Jesus is not enough. You also have to obey the law of Moses to be saved. Now, to really understand what was going on, I want to try to put ourselves in their shoes, the shoes of the Judaizers. For centuries, God's plan for coming to him involved becoming a Jew. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to join in, you came and you were circumcised and, and you shared the, the faith of the Jews. So this is a, a new reality dawning in time. And how many of us like when Jesus comes and rocks our boat? <laughs> Right? We get, we get comfortable with how things are going and then Jesus changes things up on us based on something we read or whatever and sometimes it's uncomfortable, right? That was uncomfortable for these Judaizers. What, what a change. No, you don't have to become a Jew. You just have to have faith in Jesus. Okay? So I believe that many of them at least started with really good motives. They were aiming to protect how things had always been with Yahweh. But we also know from Scripture that, that many of the motives on their disinformation governance board were dark motives, not interested in truth at all. We, we saw this early in the book of Acts. You remember the, the lame man at the temple that was healed and he was walking and leaping and praising God? I won't sing it, but the authorities did not like that. 
After that happened, the authorities in Acts 4, 16 said, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. They, they knew it happened. And they knew they could not deny it. So what was their choice? Verse 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Were they interested in truth in that moment? No, they were interested in suppressing the truth. Okay, we see it again in Acts chapter 5. The early church of Jesus began to grow by leaps and bounds. Many people were being healed and, and saved. What happened? Verse 17 of Acts 5 says, But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Motivation, again, was not truth. It was a jealousy. The, the church of Jesus is growing. We're losing people. They're going away from us to them, and they were jealous. Okay? We even know this of some of the Judaizers that came to the Galatia. How? Galatians 4.17, Paul writes to the people there who, who had come to faith in Jesus, and he speaks to them of these Judaizers. He says, they make much of you. They make you feel good. They build you up, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out. Shut you out from what? From, from salvation by grace through faith in Jesus alone. They want to shut you out from that. Why? That you may make much of them. Okay, now you're starting to see that some of the motives among these Judaizers were very selfish. They wanted to be made much of. Look at these people following us. It was a selfish motive. For many of them. And in addition to saying, no, 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 Paul, Paul was wrong. You also have to keep the law of Moses. I agree with many that, that they were also likely saying, Paul's not an apostle of God on the same level as Matthew or Peter or John. How could they go about this? Maybe they said things like, hey, he, he, he didn't walk with Jesus for those years of his ministry, right? He wasn't there during all those miracles, and he wasn't walking with Jesus at the time of the cross or the resurrection. He's inferior to those other apostles. Don't, don't listen to what he tells you, okay? So we got to wrestle with that. Paul's going to answer that charge, and he's going to build his case around such questions as this. Is, is my ministry inferior to Matthew, Peter, John, or am I just as much an apostle as they are? That's an important question. Should the Galatians ignore what he says or, or build their lives on the gospel that he shares? And just to show you briefly, we're not going to read every line. We're going to be in this mode next week too. Let me see the outline. Sorry, PowerPoint guy here. There we go. These first few chapters of Galatians, Paul is building the case for the truth of his gospel and the fact that he's an apostle. Why? Before you put your faith in something, it makes sense to explore the foundation. These sections are showing us that we have an unshakable foundation in the gospel of Christ. That's why Paul takes so much time to do this. Then we get to the logical application faith in Christ, 
and what that looks like in the life of the believer. But we got to start with the foundation. That is where Paul starts. And you say, why? Why should he have to defend his ministry that, it, that it's true? Well, the sad fact is we live in a sinful world that often more readily accepts lies than truth. Lies are often more salacious, more juicy, and more tasty going in. I like the way Mark Twain put it. He said, a lie can travel around the world and back again while the truth is lacing up its boots. How many times do we see that? So Paul sets out to defend his apostleship and the gospel of Jesus Christ that he shared to build their faith in it and to grow ours today. He's going to list six points of evidence. Number one, the source of his gospel was not men. It was God himself. It was God himself. Verse 11 of Galatians 1. He says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. No man thought this up. No man sat in a dark room with his books and said, I got an idea I need to push out to the world. In fact, many have pointed out it's unlikely that any man ever would because the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive to sinful man. You know what the gospel of Jesus Christ says? It says we are sinners who cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior to take our place, to die for our sins and rise again. Otherwise, there's no hope. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's not the kind of stuff men and women make up. Sinful men and women don't like that. It's not man's gospel, he says. He goes on, verse 12, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, I, I did not sit in a classroom and learn this like I learned the traditions of Judaism from a rabbi through repetition and memory. I didn't learn it that way. I got it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. God broke into my life and showed me who Jesus Christ was. So that's point number one. The source of his gospel was not man. It was God. Second, he's going to bring up his past life. B.C., before Christ. Thirteen. He says, you've heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. It's hard to describe how thorough Paul was in this. Some of the Greek words help. When Later on it talks about him wreaking havoc on the early church. The Greek word was sometimes used to describe a wild boar tearing up a garden. If you've ever had a javelina in your garden and seen the aftermath, that's what Paul was doing to the early church. He was breathing out murderous threats, going door to door, dragging people to, to prison, and giving his seal of approval on their executions. Tried to destroy the church. Verse 14, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. I was excelling. I was the cream of the crop at what I did. 
was trained at the feet of Gamaliel as a Pharisee, and he knew what we call the Old Testament backwards and forward. You would not want to debate Saul on the Old Testament. He was cruising forward. And it wasn't just outward either. He says, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He said, I had a burning inside of me. I had this zeal, this passion. That was me. Now, why does he bring that up? Is that the kind of guy that's likely to be gently educated into Christianity by some rabbi in a classroom? <laughs> no, it would take something catastrophic, something dramatic to turn someone like that to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happened? That leads to the third point of evidence. He had a direct encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And many have pointed out what we just read about his past life, it's full of I, right? I persecuted the church. I was advancing. So zealous was I. And right here, we're going to see a 180. It's going to go from I, I, I to God, God, God. That's how it should always be in our testimonies. From I, I, I to God, God, God. Watch this. Verse 15, as he talks about the encounter with Jesus, he says, But when, when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Let's break that down. He says, when he who had set me apart before I was born. While Paul was still in the womb and even before, God had a plan for his life. I think about that in light of what Jose and Sarah stand up for every year. The lives of the unborn. God had a plan for Paul before he exited his mother's womb. Same for Jeremiah. You think about every human life. Their days were written in my book before one of them came to be. Written in his book. Before he was born. And you think about the lengths God went to to prepare Paul. The sovereignty. He grew up in, in Tarsus. We're going to put a map up there for the rest of this message to help us. I'm not going to refer to it a lot, but it'll be a good visual. He grew up in Tarsus up there at the north. There's a Jewish quarter of that city. He grew up as a Jew in Tarsus, and F.B. Meyer wrote a biography about Paul. I'd encourage you to read it. He talked about the ways God divinely prepared him for his ministry, even in his younger years. If someone was to go around the Roman Empire doing what Paul did, he would need a few things. Number one, he would need to have the right speech. He did. Growing up a Jew in that city, he knew Hebrew, so he could go into a city and, and speak Hebrew freak, fluently with the Jews there in the synagogues. But you know what? Because it was also a city of the Roman Empire, he also knew Greek. That was the language of the empire. So he could talk to the synagogue and the Jews one day and go right next door to talk to the Gentiles the next day. That was God's plan. He would need a certain measure of safety to protect him from the more extreme measures of the Roman government. Guess what? Growing up in Tarsus, you know what Paul was? He was a Roman citizen. 
a Roman citizen, he would also need sustenance. Sustenance. You know what Paul's trade was growing up that he learned? Tent making. Yeah, there were, there were goats with black hair around the city of Tarsus. And he and his family would take that black hair and weave it into fabric that would make tents. Guess what? When Paul traveled around the empire, the church was not always able to support his ministry. There are goats everywhere. <laughs> so F.B. Meyer brought out, God sovereignly prepared this man for the mission he had for him. Is that not encouraging when you think about God's sovereignty over a life, even yours? He's in control. He has a plan. He's looking to work out. He set apart before he was born, but he goes on, verse 15. He says, And who called me by his grace, and was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul was called to salvation in Jesus, and he was called to preach Jesus among the Gentiles. You all know the dramatic encounter. I can't better on God's words, so I want you to listen. How Luke recorded it in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Maybe close your eyes and imagine this journey. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that was an early name for Christianity. What a cool, cool name, the way. So if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What a moment. He knew he was persecuting the followers of Jesus up to this moment. What he just realized here is that Jesus' voice is speaking to him from heaven. That Jesus is divine. Jesus is the risen Lord. Jesus is God. What a moment. He had an encounter with Jesus. Fourth point of evidence. He had a very different life after the encounter. And that's putting it mildly. What'd that life look like? Well, Paul goes on in verse 16 of Galatians 1. He says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia. Now, you see Arabia Petraea there on the map, just outside of Damascus. That was a wilderness area. Not many people lived out there. Why did Paul go there? Now, he doesn't come right out and tell us here. But I believe, along with many, we can make some likely inferences. Whatever he did out there is likely in contrast to how he said in verse 16... I did not immediately consult with anyone. So what's the, what's the opposite of that? I went out to be alone with God. 
right? That's the, the natural opposite, especially when he just said, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. It's also likely because that's a wilderness area. Paul usually, when he went to evangelize, he would go to the cities of the empire, right? To population centers. So what I believe is likely is he went out there to be alone with God. And many have proposed, what, what happened out there? What happened out there? Was that where, where God showed him by the Spirit? What to do with this new wine? You remember Jesus has said the new wine has to go in new wineskins? Did he give him like an extended Emmaus Road experience? You remember the two guys after Jesus' re resurrection walking and Jesus shows up incognito in Luke 24 and they're talking to Jesus. They don't know it's him. and They say some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus looked at him and said, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Is that what God did for Paul during his time in Arabia? All this stuff he knew about the Old Testament, all of a sudden, whoa. It does point to Jesus. How did I miss it? How did I miss it? Galatians goes on to say, He returned again to Damascus. Damascus where he was going to what? Persecute the church, right? What did he do there when he returned? Acts 9.20 says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? Can you imagine their shock? It's the same shock. Imagine if, if Pastor Aaron came up here after my sermon and laid down a rug and said, I want to lead you all in some Islamic prayers. Let's all turn and face the city of Mecca. Can you imagine your shock if Aaron did that? That's the same shock these people felt about what's going on. But what happened? Verse 22, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. The same Jews that used to adore him as their favorite son of their faith are now seeking to kill him because of this 180. But their plot became known to Saul. They're watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. He's already preaching. Already confounding the Jews, proving that Jesus was the Christ. How was he able to do that? 
because he had received a revelation from God of who Jesus Christ is. That's how. It leads into our fifth point of evidence. He was not commissioned by or inferior to the other apostles. Verse 18, he says, And after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. Who's that? Peter. After three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Three years. That's a long time. If it had been necessary for Paul to be commissioned or catechized by the other apostles, doesn't it make sense that it would have happened right away in God's plan after his salvation and certainly before he began preaching? But that's not the sequence of events. It was three years later. And he was only there 15 days, just over two weeks Seems to me that if he was to get a full download of everything about Jesus, it would take a bit more than 15 days. John said he did so many wonderful works that if all the books in the world couldn't hold them, right? Not to mention it was only Peter and Jesus' brother James. Wouldn't it make sense if there had to be some official sending of Paul that God would have had all the apostles there to help be a part of this official ceremony? He wasn't commissioned by those other apostles or inferior to them at all. He was commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. That was under assault in Galatia. That's why in verse 20, he says, And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Before God. Why would he take an oath like that? So strong because his apostleship and therefore the gospel of Jesus Christ was being undermined. So what happened next? Verse 21, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Now you can see Syria to the right there, follow up to Cilicia. What's interesting about him going to Cilicia, you remember he was born in Tarsus? That's his neck of the woods. What did those people think about that young, fiery Jewish boy coming back believing in Jesus? Was he preaching in his hometown? What, what did his neighbors think about that? What did they think about that? And you remember that's exactly where he was in Acts chapter 11 when a friend in the faith named Barnabas came up and said, Hey, does anybody know where Saul is? And he found Saul up there and Paul said, We need some help. God's doing a work in a city called Antioch. Will you come and help us? And that's where old Barnabas picked him up. He was not commissioned by or inferior to other apostles. Sixth point. He's going to bring up the response of other Christians at this time of his ministry. How did the other Christians respond when this was going on? Verse 22, he says, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. I was still unknown in face. They didn't have Facebook back then. Not everybody's face was known around the world like it is today. And says, outside of Jerusalem, there are many churches that wouldn't have even recognized his face. But these churches in Judea, says they, they were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And what was the response of these early churches? This is an important point. 
Verse 24, he says, Those early churches glorified God because of me. These Galatians reading that will say, Wow, that's quite different from how these Judaizers that are here right now are speaking about it because they're not glorifying God for what, what he's doing in Paul's life. They're, they're tearing it down. Why the difference? The response of other Christians. So I want to sum up the proof here. An unshakable foundation of the gospel of Jesus. For Paul, number one, he said it was a revelation of Jesus Christ from God. That's bottom line. Number two, there was a profound difference between his past life and his current life that could only be explained by supernatural intervention. And third, there was the testimony of others about the change in his life. They gave glory to God for it. So you say, what's our response to all of this? Well, number one, I believe, is a response of great gratitude to God for his revelation to Paul and Matthew and Peter and John and all of the apostles and prophets that you and I have between these two covers today. Gratitude that we don't have to go out wandering in the dark trying to figure out or make up, even worse, how to get a relationship with God. He has told us through the revelation he gave to Paul and the other apostles and prophets. That's why he says in Ephesians 2, 19 to the church in Ephesus, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Thank you, Lord, for that foundation. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Thank you even more for the precious cornerstone of Jesus Christ. This also means there is no split between Paul and Jesus. There are some you may meet in this lifetime, I have, who will say, I only follow the words of Jesus, not what Paul said. Paul, Paul was misled. He was off on his own wacky misunderstanding. So I only listen to what Jesus said in the Gospels. You still run into stuff like that today. I had someone come to our church years ago, and we had some peaceful, calm conversations where we disagreed. We were in the Gospel of Mark. And we were in the passage where they were talking about clean and unclean food. And what did Jesus say? It's not what goes in the mouth that makes you unclean, but what comes out. And he goes on to talk about the heart. And Mark goes on to write, in doing so, he declared all foods clean, right? I was talking about that with this fella because he had come to our men's group and he had said, Guys, we still have to follow the Mosaic law today. We still have to follow the food laws of the Old Testament as Christians today. And we took him to that passage. And when I sh shared what Mark said about in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He said, yeah, but that's Mark. That's Mark. Jesus didn't say that. And, and we talked about how essentially what Jesus said was the same thing. Mark just interpreted it for us. However, that was his mindset. Mark wasn't Jesus, so he wasn't going to take his word. Some people do that with Paul. Guess what? That makes sense if Paul got his information from some other man or made it up himself. It makes no sense at all if what we read today is true. And I'm banking on it that it was a revelation of Jesus Christ from God. 
That being true, Paul and Jesus are on the same team. We have a complete revelation here that is unified in every response. Are we grateful for the revelation we have? That we have a God who speaks through his word. Next, I think we could make an inspection of our own lives. When we look at our own past life before Jesus and our current life after Jesus, is there enough evidence to point that there's been an intervention from God in our lives, a difference? I read a sad story this week. There was a city out east where I if it was 10 or 12,000 evangelical leaders showed up for a yearly conference. And in between sessions, they, they got to go out to coffee shops and restaurants and, and uh, frequent the city. And a couple Christians went out after the conference to interview local restaurant owners and baristas and other people about their experience. And it was saddening to them and to me to read how many of these baristas and restaurant owners said they were rude, they were pushy. One said I, it brought up past angst that I had from my growing up in the church. The, the way they were acting to me reminded me of how some people had treated me before and I had to leave work early. And the people that did these interviews said too many times they heard that. And these interviews were saying, how sad is that? How sad is that? Let me go back to the question. Is there enough difference between our past life before Jesus and our current life with Jesus for people to look and say, yeah, the way they treat people, the way they speak, the way they live, something changed there. That'd be something supernatural. And does the testimony of others about us confirm our claims? How do we know what is true? That's another application. How do we know what is true? When Jesus stood before Pilate, he said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That's pretty straightforward. When it comes to matters of faith, truth is in listening to the voice of Jesus. Pilate said to him, what is truth? As we're talking with other people, how do we evaluate what they say, especially regarding matters of faith? Whether you're listening to me up here or a podcast or, or someone over lunch talking about faith, a Facebook thread, how do you evaluate what they say? Acts 17, 11, Luke tells us, Paul showed up in a city called Berea after being persecuted in Thessalonica because the people there didn't like what he shared. Acts 17.11 says these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's how we evaluate what we hear. Examine the scriptures to see if they were so. I'll close with one more word picture from Pilgrim's Progress. I just finished it again this week. Christian, at one point in his journey, showed up at the house of interpreter. The interpreter was a symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And the interpreter showed Christian many things at his house. And one of those things was a, was a picture on the wall, a picture of a man. 
And I'll read John Bunyan's words. This Christian saw the picture of a very grave person up against the wall. And this was the fashion of it. It had eyes lifted up to heaven, the best of books in his hand. The law of truth was written upon his lips. The world was behind his back. It stood as if it pleaded with men. And a crown of gold did hang over its head. What was the point? The interpreter looked at Christian and said, The man whose picture this is, is the only man whom the Lord hath authorized to be thy guide. Now, I'd like to sit down with John Bunyan and ask him, were you talking about Jesus Christ solely or were you also speaking about his ambassadors? I believe the latter as I read it. As we ask the question, yes, we converse with a lot of different kinds of people, but as we ask the question, who do I allow to shape my faith walk the most? Who do I listen to? These are the criteria. Let me go through them one more time. Listen to those who have their eyes lifted up to heaven, who know they're citizens of another kingdom. Okay. Listen to those who, who have the best of books in their hand. They're, they're people of the word, people of the Bible. But not just in their hands. It says the law of truth was written upon his lips. Those who have the word in them so that it comes out in their conversation. People with the world behind their back. What's that song say? The cross before me, the world behind me. People no longer bowing to the gods of this world. It stood as if it pleaded with men, those who realized the call to spread the gospel to the lost and to encourage the saints. And a crown of gold did hang over its head. Obviously, we don't see those. It's speaking of the true believer. Those are the folks we should allow to shape our faith walk, to walk in the path of truth. And I like how Aaron prayed at the end of the first service. Let's not only look for folks like that to surround ourselves with. Let's be those people. Let's be those people as we go out there. Lord, thank you for the unshakable foundation of the revealed gospel of Jesus Christ. If Paul had heard it from men, if he had made it up, same with Matthew, Peter, or John, who... Whether these Judaizers knew it or not, they all ended up on the same page. If they heard it from men, we're wasting our time here. But it being a revelation from God, it is worth our very lives, our very souls, all of our allegiance, all of our passion, all of our zeal. And I pray that you would help us to be those ones with eyes lifted to heaven the world behind us, the best of books in our hands, the truth of God on our lips, pleading with men that they might be saved. Thank you for Jesus Christ who met Paul on that Damascus road and changed the world forever. 
change our lives. Many of us are Gentiles here today. We <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Came to bring salvation to the Jew and to the Gentile. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Lord, even as we take our offering this morning, may you help us as a church to steward that for the forwarding of that gospel, our unshakable foundation, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. <laughs>